NASDAQ Governance Solutions provides a suite of board technologies and services that enable boards and leadership teams to deliver to the highest standards. We aim to be the single trusted partner to boards. Under the NASDAQ Governance Solutions umbrella, we also have the NASDAQ Center for Board Excellence, our international community development and thought leadership initiative aimed at advancing strong governance practices, fostering debate and connecting people. NCB, as we sometimes call it, is a thriving platform open to board directors, business leaders and governance practitioners. In this podcast, I'm speaking to James Beersley, Senior Director at NASDAQ Governance Solutions, about individual accountability. James, could you introduce yourself and perhaps you could start by giving us an overview of what we mean by individual accountability? Thanks, Rachel. Yeah, so my role at, uh, at NASDAQ is to lead board advisory in Europe, Middle East and Africa for NASDAQ, and that focuses on things such as board evaluations and other key processes such as succession planning with which we support our clients and partners. I'm also the lead for NASDAQ Center for Board Excellence in the region, which is our focus on um, building community and developing thought leadership around Mm -hmm. good governance. Um, My background is governance advisory um, with with a big spike in financial services. And that's why I think we're talking about individual accountability today. Um, Individual accountability is the concept of defining and communicating senior individuals' accountabilities, i.e. those things where the buck stops with them. Mm. And under these kind of frameworks, organizations can refer to delegated responsibilities and governance constructs like Mm. uh, processes and committees, but they seek to identify the individuals ultimately responsible for certain key matters. Mm. Those matters may be things like defining or implementing the uh, organization's desired culture Mm -hmm. uh, for its financial systems and controls or for overseeing risk. Mm -hmm. And as I kind of alluded to as a concept, it started in financial services. Mm -hmm. Um, And those people listening, working at financial services organizations in the UK would be very familiar with the UK's framework applied by our two regulators, the PRA and the FCA. Mm-hmm. which is called the Senior Manager Certification Regime, or mm-hmm. SMCR for, for short. Um, so kind of as a concept, it started in the UK, and it was designed as a means to um, holding senior people to account and to help external stakeholders, primarily the regulators, admittedly, initially, mm-hmm. to understand how the company operates. Globally now, there's an increasing move in this direction in financial services from Australia to Ireland, Singapore to to Hong Kong. Um, And I recognize, you know, this can admittedly seem a bit dry if you're at a tech firm or a fashion retailer. Mm -hmm. But lessons over recent years from the implementation of SMCR pose the question whether there are broader benefits to the approach or elements that could be proportionate applied to organizations of different sizes and natures Mm. and I deliberately emphasize the word proportionately there as I don't want to advocate regulation for its own sake or gold plating where that would be detrimental but the two main things um, it has driven is a sense of responsibility coupled with a strong degree of clarity and Mm. surely that can't be a bad yes absolutely So how does this concept of individual accountability um, sit alongside the concept of the collective responsibility of the board? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because the regulatory regimes around the world that apply the concept, including in the UK, Mm. 
do typically apply the concept at board level, mm -hmm. even though the concept's genesis was driven by um, executive accountabilities. Mm. Um, so surely it is fundamentally at odds with the concept of collective accountability mm. in boards. Um, well, when the concept was first introduced, there was this huge amount of debate led rightly by the legal profession about whether this was the case. Mm. Um, the regulators' views were that applied as it was to be, individual accountability at the board level was complementary to collective accountability. Mm. Happily, I think after a few years, we're talking, I think we're in about the seventh year since um, this was first applied to some very large and complex organization. Um, that seems to have been the case. Mm. So the way it applies at a board level is that certain positions on a board, the chair, the senior independent director, the committee chairs, they undeniably have spe a specific role to play and de facto mm. responsibility. It's an established practice to, to develop role profiles for, um, for these positions. Mm. Um, and so individual accountability arguably provides a framework for communicating these and also clarifying how they fit into, into broader governance. So, for example, leading the relationship with the company's independent auditors would logically mm -hmm. sit with the chair of the audit committee, mm -hmm. as would oversight of the independence and performance of internal audit. So that doesn't have any, um, any impact on collective accountability. That's just something that logically that individual would be taking lead on due to their position as, as chair of, um, of, of the relevant committee. So, you know, you can think about these particular responsibilities uh, linked to what the organization does and how it's structured and who it works with, et cetera. And the list doesn't need to be exhaustive um, for different organizations at different stages in their life cycle. Mm. But, you know, this kind of construct can just motivate organizations to know key responsibilities and, in, and for individuals to consider how they fulfill those responsibilities, which then doesn't stop boards from still being collectively accountable for, for, for their decisions. Mm -hmm. So what does individual accountability mean in practice? Um, well, practically, it means there's, there's, there's no impact on the way boards do their job. Mm. Um, it just means that certain members of the board may be thinking about their own contributions, uh, their own activities versus a defined list of things, mm. um, in addition to you know, their day-to-day -day role on the board. Um, but it may be no more than one or two. And why do you think organisations outside of financial services should take note of this approach? Yeah, I think that, that would probably go back to the, the reflections on you know, how individual accountability as a concept has been rolled out in the firms um, that it has been rolled out to. And, 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 you know, these are financial services firms, but, you know, of, of various of, of various types. So you could have, you know, an investment bank on one hand, and a local, um, you know, credit institution, if you like, um, you know, in a region or something uh, on, on the other hand, or credit card company versus a building society versus an insurer versus an asset manager. They're all very different organizations with different strategies and business models and different customer demographics, et cetera. Um, and feedback in general appears to be that there is real value overall in the concept, mm -hmm. in helping them to communicate how things work 
mm. um, as an organization in helping individuals to organize their time and efforts and in recognizing where improvements could be made. So the, the, the organization subject to these kind of requirements seem, in my experience, and those of, of, of my colleagues seems to be overall positive, even though it's a, when it's applied as a regulatory regime, it's obviously a, a, a huge headache and it's a compliance issue as much as anything else. But conceptually, it's adding value. And feedback from external stakeholders, regulators, shareholders, external advisors like me, customers where things are disclosed on, on, on websites, for example, it's even more positive. So simply, it aids transparency. Mm. It, 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 it enables individuals to, um, uh, you know, to understand the organization better, to understand individual roles better. Mm. And that transparency enables comfort and confidence um, in an organization. So from the firm's point of view, um, that should lead to fewer awkward questions mm. and demands, if you like, from external parties where they, they, they've already clarified this up front and they've shown that they're on top of it. That sounds like a really useful application of the, um, of the concept. Um, and what can boards do uh, when they're considering applying this concept? concept? Um, so, I mean, as with everything in governance, it's sensible to start by thinking about what you have and, and, and where you can improve. All organizations are constantly evolving and the good ones want to continuously improve. The concept of individual accountability, as it's typically applied, contains a list of things that need accounting for. Mm -hmm. An understanding of how those things fit into the governance and operation of the firm mm. uh, and an account of how the related responsibilities are, are, are discharged. So it's not just the, the what, if you like, but it's also the how. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those considerations usually give rise to identification of potential blind spots for certain individuals mm. and areas for improvement. So they're kind of a, going through that process, they kind of act as a, um, as a spotlight on, on things that actually, you know, you'd rather know about now than, than know mm. about as when something goes a bit wrong down the line. Because I think that, that's, that's another point to make, you know, the, 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 what's included here, where we're talking about um, people having individual accountability for things. This, this wouldn't be a situation whereby you are um, uh, kind of changing the shape of the peg to fit the hole, mm. if you like. What, what, mm. what this should be doing is reflecting the way things work now. So, you know, when you have individuals who may be allocated, if you can say that, certain accountabilities, mm. you know, per those examples I talked about earlier on with the chair of the audit committee, for example, mm -hmm. that shouldn't come as a surprise that the chair of audits of the audit committee is ultimately, you know, responsible for overseeing the relationship with the external audit. Mm. It's not as if that's suddenly taking that responsibility away for someone else and then saying, no, no, this now sits with you. You might do that if for some reason it did sit somewhere else and that wasn't very logical. Mm. But broadly speaking, it should be aligned to the, the governance structure of mm. the organization. And therefore, if you are responsible or ultimately accountable for something, what this provides is a framework for uh, how to think about that and check mm. if there are any gaps, if there are any things to, to think about. So... When considering the application, boards might commission a review or a test of how an individual accountability concept might apply at the organization, test some assumptions, 
Mm. A powerful way to do that can be scenario testing. So mm. just looking at, okay, here's a bunch of responsibilities, which are very important, very high level, very limited number. This, this, these aren't exhaustive. Mm. Um, but effectively saying, look, if X happened, or if we were doing Y tomorrow, how would that work? Who would make the decisions? Does everyone understand that? Mm. And does that individual know and are they comfortable with ultimately having that, uh, that responsibility? Mm. And do you think this concept can extend beyond the boardroom? Absolutely, yeah. In fact, it started outside the boardroom, really. Okay. So, you know, regulators wanted to see which senior managers had what authority. And mm. senior managers, I mean, executives. Mm -hmm. um, so they wanted to encourage them to think whether they have everything they need and do everything they should do to meet that accountability and ultimately to, you know, in that particular case in financial services, to, to hold them to account if they failed in their duties. Mm -hmm. Think of those banking CEOs during the financial crisis and, mm. you know, arguably, depending on how we want to frame it, how many of them um, perhaps were, uh, you know, held accountable. Mm. And ultimately punished for 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 um, you know for decisions and actions. Um, and think of the board's role in overseeing the CEOs and their teams. So um, where there were oversights in the negative rather than the positive sense of the word, mm. where there was any lack of clarity in who to go to or who should own an action, mm. that's why board roles were included. But also why it's been so important in recent years for the responsibility for application of the concept to sit with the board or a member of it it all comes back to things the board is supposed to oversee so when boards think about which aspects of the concept you might want to apply it should certainly look beyond the boardroom mm. to extract maximum value because the model works when thinking about senior management structures but also it really does have validity around the board table for those certain roles as well and how would you see this concept being um, practically applied um, in different organisations? Um, I think the two principal benefits um, would be transparency for stakeholders, mm. uh, including the board, and clarity for individuals. Mm -hmm. So the starting point, regardless of size and nature of the organization, is coming up with a proportionate list of things that need an accountable owner, mm -hmm. then figuring out who those owners should be. Um, and members of the board, other than those specific roles I mentioned, shouldn't have any. And some members of the senior management team might not have any, mm -hmm. whereas others like the CEO might have multiple, for example. Mm -hmm. It's not a case of, we have these things we need to spread them out equally mm. but rather identifying really you know how does this work and where does the where does the buck stop so some organizations will have many um uh kind of areas of accountability particularly larger organizations more complicated ones mm. or ones operating in regulated fields such as pharmaceuticals or energy mm. and some will have fewer so the question then is what to do once you've kind of gathered that, what to do with that information, once you've kind of figured it out, you know, how many we should have and how we might proportionately apply it, what do you do with the, the information that you have? And there's two priorities in my view, an overall record, generating an overall record for the organization. So the, the who, the what, the where, all in one place, um, and a record for each individual who's captured by it. Mm. 
that's the way it works in financial services. You have mm -hmm. something called a management responsibilities map, which looks at the organization, summarizes all the information in one place. And then each individual has um, their own record, which is just clarifying to them, just like in a role profile, your job description, mm -hmm. just saying these are the things you're accountable okay. for. Where the real power is actually on the individual lens um, and where it really adds value, and this is what I want to focus on, is beyond the, you know, here's a, here's a list of things and, and here's who's accountable. That's great. That adds mm. clarity. But where the value to good governance can be added is when an individual asks three questions mm. of themselves. One is, what am I accountable for? So let's get that list for me. Mm -hmm. um, or it might be one thing, it might be 10 things. Number two, how do I discharge my responsibilities? So including who do I rely upon? What governance for do I use? What other tools such as management information, research, etc., do I use? And then number three, what evidence could I provide that I do all of those things? Mm -hmm. And that's where you get that, um, those kind of eureka moments sometimes with senior leaders where they say, yeah, okay, no, I was comfortable that that's what I was responsible for. But actually, as mm -hmm. I've gone through this thought process, I don't know how I would demonstrate that mm -hmm. I am ultimately accountable for that. I don't know what I would show someone to say that I've done. Or actually thinking about it, I think I need to beef that up in order to um, make sure that I'm doing this properly. Or this could save me time if I did it this way. So you kind of go through that real qualitative thought process, which then has a knock-on impact on the governance of the organization where you're by definition you're making improvements um, as you go but it's driven by an individual's own lens where who can then figure out with the relevant parties okay if i did this what knock-on impact might that have how does that fit into broader governance etc so it's just pushing literally individual accountability into the organization pushing that responsibility for thinking about continual improvement into the individual sphere rather than just thinking about it at the board and kind of committee level. Mm. And typically COSEC, by the way, can be a really um, important uh, uh, role individual in this process, sitting down with those individuals to walk through those questions that we talked about, kicking the tires, identifying any gaps that need closing mm. and making the connections across the, the board where there might be themes emerging. And it, so it sounds like the um, the overall improvements to the governance um, of, a, of an organization are a real benefit to this approach. Um, what are any other benefits? And then and associated with that, what are the risks? Yeah, I, I think the, the benefits I've already outlined probably, mm. probably speaks to that. It really is just a, an embedding of a sense of accountability, sense of responsibility. Mm and providing that clarity and transparency to, to others who maybe need to understand internally or externally. On the risk side, I'm probably going to read anyone listening to this uh, podcast mm. minds right now. It could be a lot of effort for little benefit. In mm. theory, we were playing devil's advocate. You could be essentially applying a regime on you know, oneself, one's own organization. Mm. Um, uh, when you know there's 101 other priorities out there mm -hmm. but I would just say that's precisely why it's important to think how it might best apply to the organization how mm -hmm. broad and deep you might want to go um, and also to consider up front how it will work so you know proportionality is important here if if 
elements of the concept of individual accountability, if learnings from um, you know, what's happened in the financial services world trickle down where you just pick and choose and say, hey, actually, if we did that, that, that would actually add a little bit of benefit to us. Mm. That's fine. Again, it's all in the concept of continuous improvement and maybe you prioritize certain elements of it and that adds real benefit and then there's a longer term approach as well. Mm -hmm. um, it's also important to think through, you know, how much of a priority this might be mm. versus other items of the agenda on the agenda in short and when might be optimal timing to bring this concept in. So it might be that this is something that you take note of, but, you know, given the board's agenda and strategic priorities over the next year or so, um, you know, this isn't necessarily top of the list, but you can start to maybe bring a discussion to the board, bring it forward uh, into people's minds. So that perhaps is something that a company secretary could be doing. Um, is there anything else that um, company secretaries or governance professionals having listened to this um, discussion um, could do next um, in relation to the concept of individual accountability? Yeah, I think first things first, bring it up with the chair. See if this is something that um, the chair feels there could be any benefit to. Maybe bring it up with the CEO at the same time mm. and just, just talk through the concepts, how they might apply, what the benefits will be, um, some of the lessons learned, and then think through that prioritization or proportionality. So just mm. bring it to the front of, front of mind. There's no harm in discussing it. And I think it's something that COSEX can add so much value on in terms of picking up on these themes and feeding them through um, to the relevant leaders. And then secondly, depending on resource, depending on size of team, depending on level of interest, doing a discrete project within the team um, could be really useful within the COSEC function. Um, you know, appointing someone just to do a bit of digging into what those lessons are from financial services, what, um, you know, the, the high level pillars of the application of the concept have been and mm. think through how they might apply and maybe just do a little bit of a test just to yeah. say, okay, look, if we applied this, would we know who that is? Would they know who, would they know that it's them that's ultimately yeah. accountable here? And, yeah. you know, and, and ask the questions that we talked about, you know, what, what do, what would I, or do I do to discharge that responsibility? And what would I show to show that I definitely have done it? Well, great. Well, that sounds like um, some interesting first steps that could be taken um, by a company secretary to look at this concept. Um, thank you very much for the, insight you've given us today on this concept of individual accountability, how it can be translated from financial services to other sectors, and um, what companies, company secretaries and um, board directors could be doing to put the concepts into practice. Thank you very much for your time today, James. Thanks, Rachel. My pleasure. NASDAQ Governance Solutions serves 225,000 board portal users, 330 of the Fortune 500, 75 of the Fortune 100, and nearly 7,000 global organizations. Our solutions include board portal software, NASDAQ BoardVantage, digitized board director and senior leadership performance evaluations, and digitized data collection for things like conflicts management and related parties monitoring.